So the sermon today is going to start with uh, 12-year-old Dan. So imagine me as a 12-year-old, little guy about this tall. Any 12-year-olds in the house? Oh, oh well. There we go, one 12-year-old, all right. So to enjoy it while you still can. Uh, <laughs> so I went to a soccer camp, um, and I, they told us at the beginning of the camp that we were going to, uh, there was going to be some rewards or awards at the end of the camp. And I knew, I was a midfielder, so I knew I wasn't going to score the most amount of goals. So I didn't shoot for that one. And I was a good soccer player, but I wasn't a great soccer player, so I wasn't going to get MVP or the Pele Award or whatever. And so what I was shooting for was the Sportsmanship Award. I want to be the good sport. I want to be the guy that everybody's like, he's a good guy. So that was the award, and the whole week I focused on that. So I tried to be extra helpful and nice to people, encouraging when somebody, you know, when a goalie got it scored on or something like that. I tried to, you know, if somebody slide tackled me instead of being like, hey, you jerk, I tried to be really, you know, it's okay, man, it's okay. You know, I, I even, I think, if I remember correctly, I would like take water to people and try to really serve people. I was really kind of put, putting it out there. And then the end of the camp came. I still remember we're sitting in this gymnasium and they go through all the awards, and they're like, the last award is the sportsmanship award. It's to the, it's to the player who, you know, showed the more, most sportsmanship. And the award goes to Ricky Thompson. <laughs> I, remember, I, I remember Ricky's face bashfully getting up and walking down there, and I remember being like, I hate Ricky Thompson. <laughs> and I remember sitting, I, we were driving away, driving away from the soccer field, and I remember I had my arm out, the window, and just kind of looking as we were driving away and thinking, what a waste. All that time doing all those things, what a waste. I didn't win the award. Now, have you ever had an experience like that's, that's your 12-year-old mindset? I'm sure you guys had some of those moments as 12-year-olds. But the reality is that mindset leaches into our 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old mindset, doesn't it? Have you ever experienced that where you worked hard? You did the right things, but you didn't get rewarded for it. Someone else got the praise that you deserved. Somebody else got the raise that you deserved. Somebody else got the bonus that you deserved. And you know that you were the one that did the work. And maybe even they know that you were the one that did the work. And you feel this sense of cosmic injustice, like something is wrong here. So why do we feel this way? Why do we feel so unappreciated and wronged when somebody gets the praise that we deserve or get the reward that we deserved? Well, today, in our text, it deals with this sense of cosmic injustice that we, felt, that we feel, that I felt as a 12-year-old. And honestly, this is one of those texts, another time where Jesus is, makes us uncomfortable. Before preaching this text, I had never really studied it before, and it's always made me uncomfortable. I've always struggled with it, because it sounds, again, so un-Jesus-like. Like, what is Jesus saying here? So turn with me to Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. Grab a Bible if you don't have one. There's some pew Bibles there. It's page 876 in the pew Bible. And today we're going to be looking at two main points. First off, the reward we think we need. And the second point is the reward we actually need. So the reward we think we need and the reward that we actually need. So we're going to look at Luke 
17 verse 5 about the reward we think we need. That's where we're going to start. Now, we have to realize here that Jesus is an incredibly wise leader. Greatest leader who ever walked the face of the earth. And here in this scene, we see Jesus like a football coach. All right, it's football season. Everybody know that? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, FSU fans. I heard it was a rough day for y'all yesterday. Um, Anyways, I'm a Gamecock. It's always a rough day for us. Um, So I feel your pain. So so he's almost like a football coach here. You know how a football coach, he knows what his players need. That if his players are dejected, if they're not playing well, he goes in at halftime and builds them up. He encourages them. But then the football coach also knows when the team is starting to get a little bit too big for their britches, right? They're getting higher in the BCS ranking and they start thinking wins are just going to come to us automatically. So so good football coaches know how to bring them down a notch, bring them back down to earth. Steve Spurrier was a coach when I was at uh, Carolina, South Carolina, and he always would say he was the best at doing this. He'd be like, yep, well, we got a crummy team this year. Hopefully, if we throw the ball around, we might get lucky, but we got a crummy team. He would always know how to bring his team down. Now, Jesus isn't exactly doing that here, but you see what I'm going to call wisdom whiplash. It's this whiplash effect that he has when he's seeking to build them up and then keep them in their place at the same time. He's a great teacher. He's a great motivator. He's a great leader. So listen in verse 4. He just tells us something to his disciples, the teaching that's extreme. He says, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, please forgive me, you must forgive him. Now, the disciples, rightly, are kind of cowering, like, who can do that? Right? Has that ever happened to you before? Seven, somebody does you wrong, not just seven times in a life, but seven times in one day and they keep asking forgiveness. And the disciples are like, no! We can't do that. What? How are we going to be able to do that? That's too much, Jesus. And so he sees them kind of cowering, and they pray this prayer. They say, increase our faith. And so Jesus then builds them up. Look in verse 6. He says something even more stunning than the thing he said about forgiveness. He says, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Wow. Wow. Talk about taking them from like, increase our faith, Lord, we can't forgive, to oh my gosh, we're going to do some amazing things. So he's building them up. And the reality is, the apostles are going to do some amazing things. If you are a follower of Christ, you are going to do some amazing things. Here's a few of the things that the apostles did. They healed people. They raised people from the dead. They preached and thousands of people came into the church. They literally change the history of the world. And Jesus knows that with this mustard seed of faith and these great things they're going to do, there's a toxic attitude that creeps into their hearts and creeps into our hearts. And so, in verse 7, Jesus teaches another startling lesson to nip that in the bud. Because he knows that I need to humble them now or they're going to lose everything later. So in verse 7, he starts by asking them a question. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come in at once and recline at table? Will he not say to him, 
Prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Now, this is a weird passage because, again, it doesn't sound like Jesus, right? Jesus is the, the servant leader. What's going on here? Well, here's, here's the point. Or here's, here's what Jesus is doing in this illustration. He's using an example of normal village life in Israel. Normal roles of a servant and a master to illustrate his point. So any, anybody Downton Abbey fans in here? All right, a few of you guys. There's more in the nine o'clock. <laughs> um, how about Jane Austen? Has anybody, has anybody seen a Jane Austen movie? Guys, has your wife ever made you watch a Jane Austen movie? Um, so in, the, in, those, uh, in that time in England, there were lords and there were servants. And if you, if you watch Downton Abbey, you know that the servants never eat at the family's table. They always serve the family, and then they go eat at their table under the house. That's kind of weird, but they do. <laughs> um, now, what Jesus is saying is, the same was, it, was the case in Israel, that there was masters, that they would have, servant role, that they would have certain roles, that things that they would do, and they had, there would be servants, and they would have certain roles that they would do. So Jesus is just drawing from normal everyday life to make a point. He's not saying this is how servants and, and masters should interact. He's saying this is how they do interact. Now, what's the point he's trying to make out of this, though? Verse 10 tells us the point. He's trying to teach us something about faithfulness, something about our relationship with God, something about our obedience to God. Here's the point. He says, so you also, so apostles, so followers of Jesus, when you have done all that you were commanded, say this, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. So what is Jesus getting at here? Why does he say this? Well, again, he is trying to nip something in the bud. As soon as the disciples start to imagine the great things that they're going to do, he needs to get at what's driving that desire. He's trying to get at this toxic attitude. Now, what's the toxic attitude? It can be summed up right here. You ready? If I do great things for God, then God is under obligation to reward me in some way. If I do great things, then I should get some sort of reward for it. What Jesus is doing is he's exposing an idol in the heart of his apostles. That, he th that they, th they start to think we deserve the blessings because we served them. And, and if you think back to my story when I was a 12-year-old, that's exactly what it was, right? I, th I mean, I, uh, it was hot outside and I brought these guys water. Man, I was really nice when I should have been a jerk. And I thought, I deserve, I deserve to be the sportsman. I, I mean, I'm way more of a sportsman than that jerk, Ricky, right? I, I'm like way better than him. I'm way more humble than he is. Um, and we started to think, God, I deserve this. I, I earned these good things that I did. And in big or small ways, whether we know it or not, we slip into this way of thinking about the world, right? There's always that one person at work who gets all the accolades, who everyone loves, and you know that you work harder than they do. Or we think, well, I, I serve my kids all day long, and then my spouse comes home, and the kids worship the ground that he or she walk on. And you're like, what am I? Come on. This joker doesn't do anything around the house. 
Or I think I did it right in my 30s. Or it should be easier in my 40s. It should be easier in my 50s. Or have you ever prayed this prayer? I know that I have. If you read my journal, which I wouldn't encourage you to. Um, <laughs> but if you do, you'll, you would hear something along the lines of, God, I've stayed obedient and I've stayed faithful to you, but you're not helping me out at all. Does that sound familiar? Slowly we start to think, God, we've served you. Now we deserve a reward. We deserve for God to serve us back. We deserve to feel him more. You ever feel like that? I deserve to feel God more. I'm stinking down here serving him by faith. I would love to serve him by feeling. Or God, I've been giving you all of these things. When are you gonna give me something in return? So Jesus is exposing what drives us, what drives our service. And it turns out, here's the, here's the hard thing, what dri- what's driving us actually when we start to look underneath the surface isn't actually love for God or desire to give glory to God. What actually is driving me is love for myself. It's to receive rewards or glory or praise from God. Now don't misunderstand me here. This is important. There's nothing wrong with feeling God's presence. That is a good thing. God tells us, hey, come and get as much of me as you can. There's nothing wrong with receiving affirmation from God. We need to get affirmation from God. There's nothing wrong with receiving good gifts from God. He wants us to give good gifts. But when these good things become the ultimate thing, they turn into a what? An idol. All right, good. It's that we begin to worship the praise. We begin to worship the reward. We begin to worship the gift rather than the rewarder or the one who gives us praise or the one who gives us the gift. And what happens, I didn't realize it until I started thinking about this passage, the roles flip. All of a sudden, when that's our attitude, we become the master and God becomes the servant. It's God, you owe us these things. And God's saying, no, I I am the master. I am the Lord of the universe and you are my servant. And so Jesus is trying to unearth something in our hearts. Now, here's the deal. If you're not sure what you think about Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, you kind of get a free pass on this one. This is for followers of Jesus. You can still listen in, maybe get something out of it, but this is for followers of Jesus. Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for the fact that he is gonna be crucified and that they're going to be serving through the power of the Holy Spirit and no longer be able to see him. And so he is working to try to give them some hard teachings before he leaves. And he's saying, hey, you're the servant. I'm the Lord. Remember that. Now, if we've slowly slipped into this attitude, what, is, what attitude is Jesus calling us back to? What is he calling us to? Well, in verse 10, Jesus tells us what our attitude should be says, and again, this is a hard teaching. He says, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of want to be like, yeah, what is it? Come on, man. We're down here trying our best. Now, I want to I focus on what the idea actually is saying. Let's focus on the phrase, we are unworthy servants. What does Jesus mean by this? That we are unworthy. So does Jesus want us to have what one of my professors calls worm theology? I don't know if you guys have ever heard of worm theology, but you've definitely known somebody who's had worm theology that they're always like, I'm just a worm and not a man. 
You know, I am human filth, and God, I am just human filth. And all they do is talk about their utter depravity and all that kind of stuff. Is that what Jesus wants for us? Good. All right. Actually, like a five-year-old answered that in the last service. I was like, all right, you got the five-year-olds. No, that's not what Jesus wants. Because we, we hear unworthy servants, and we hear worthless servants, Right? But Jesus doesn't say, you are worthless servants. No, we are full of worth because of Christ. What he's saying is unworthy servants. Now, what does he mean by unworthy? Unworthy, if you're tracking with me, I'm going fast. I'll slow down. Unworthy means unmeritous, undeserving, humble. Humble. So humble that you don't think you deserve anything. Jesus is saying that the attitude in our relationship to God should reflect the reality that we didn't earn anything that God has given us. It's all a gift. We're Grace Anglican Church. Everything we have is a gift. And we owe everything to God. In reality, he owes us nothing. Now, we get it all as a gift, but we start to begin to think that we've earned it, right? That we're entitled to it. But we actually, God actually owes us nothing. And this is a really hard teaching. Oprah would not like this teaching. Um, but, but what scripture says is that God owes us nothing. Now, I want us to think about what this attitude looks like in practice. Where do you see somebody that has this kind of attitude? Well, think about the men in World War II who received the Medal of Honor. They didn't say, hey, we did heroic things. We suffered in prison camps. We deserve this medal. Rather, their attitude was, it was our duty. Right? It was the service that we owed our great country. So Jesus isn't saying you are worthless servants. Rather, he's saying that your attitude should be as humble servants, as lowly servants, as meek, as one of our passages said, ready to serve always and remembering that nothing is owed to us. Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Now, those are very different things. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's not tearing yourself down, it's thinking less of yourself. No, sorry. It's thinking about yourself less. And there's a big difference. Because one is self-flagellation. Oh, worm theology. I'm just a worm. The other is I'm so lost in who God is that I'm thinking about myself less. Does that make sense? So Jesus says we don't serve to get a reward from God. That's a hard lesson. We don't serve to get a reward from God. But that's that's the reward we think we need. We think we need and deserve God's reward and praise. So what is the reward that we actually need? And here's where we actually talk about how do we actually change. Everybody knows, okay, I'm selfish, okay, I'm prideful. But how do we actually change that attitude? It's easy to say, don't be preoccupied with yourself. Stop thinking God owes you something. And you're like, ah, I want to, but I don't know how to. So how do we actually think about ourselves less? How do we actually become humble? Here is the secret of humility. We are humbled when we glimpse our true reward. Our true reward. When we see our true reward in all of its glory. So what is our true reward? What is that which humbles us? 
And I want to read a parallel passage that Jesus tells earlier in Luke. And this passage, I've just skimmed over it a bunch of times, never noticed it before. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, stay dressed for action. This is in Luke, in Luke 12. Stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. So be ready. Kind of keep, keep on your guard. You're always serving God. And it says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Now listen to this. Truly I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for service and have them recline at table. Who is them? The servants. The master will dress himself for service and the servants will recline at table and he will come and serve them. Who is this master that would do such a thing, that would reverse the Downton Abbey economy? Jesus tells them later who. In Luke 22, before he goes to the cross, he says, I am among you as one who serves. But Jesus doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. And in John, we see that Jesus takes his robe aside and takes a towel and wraps it around his waist, the uniform of a servant, and gets down on his hands and knees, and he washes his disciples' dirty feet. And then, the next day, he walks the walk to the cross. He carries the cross through the streets, and it tells us that his arms were stretched out on the hardwood of the cross, Why? What master does that? Why? Because he's come not just to cleanse your feet, but to cleanse your heart. To cleanse your heart of that self-preoccupation. To cleanse your heart of all those, that need, that desire to be rewarded. He's come to cleanse your heart utterly and completely. That's the kind of God that he is. And so we have to ask ourselves, can you stand before a God like this? Are you worthy of such sacrifice, of such service, that a master would empty himself and become a slave, a servant, and die for you? Are you worthy of it? No. You're unworthy. You are not worthy. None of us is worthy of such love. You see, our reward isn't praise from God. Our reward is God himself. That's our reward. When we begin to see our reward, we begin to shrink down to the size that we're supposed to be. Our reward is God himself. We get him. We get Jesus. And guess what? You are unworthy As soon as you start to get Jesus in your life, you begin to realize how unworthy you are and you get to be his servant. You get to be his unworthy servant. Everybody's like, that doesn't sound that great. (laughs) Oh, wow, that's what I've signed up for? Yes, here's why. You get to work in his kingdom because Christ has served you so that you can get to serve him. Now, I want you to think about your work, whether it be at home with the kids, whether it be in your career, I want you to think about your work. When was it most meaningful? I guarantee it was not when you were focusing on the money that you were about to get or the praise that you were about to get. 
It was when you began to forget about the rewards, forget about the praise, and you got lost in the work itself. And you got lost working alongside the people that you work alongside. And the same is the case with our service with God. Our reward is that we get to work alongside Jesus himself. We get to serve alongside the greatest servant who's ever lived. We get to partner with him and be part of what he is doing. We get lost in it and we forget ourselves. That's how we begin to think less about ourselves. How we begin to lose our focus on ourselves and begin to focus on what he is doing. We don't serve to get a reward from God. Our reward is getting to serve with God. I'm going to say that again so we get it. We don't serve to get a reward from God. We, our reward is getting to serve with God. Now why? Why did Jesus teach his disciples this? Because if God is your reward, if serving with God is your reward, then when suffering comes or when dry times comes or when you don't get the praise that you deserve, and you deserve it, there's something deeper that drives you. And like the World War II veterans of old, the greatest generation, when people wonder, how do you keep pushing when you don't get any glory for it? You can say, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm just doing my duty. That's the kind of disciple Jesus is calling us to. Now, it's not easy to get there. I'm not there. Definitely not there. Ask my wife. Definitely not there. But that's what Jesus has called us into. That's the, the joy of service with him is that we get to forget about ourselves and get lost and work with him. Now, what's the application? I want to encourage you each, each and every person in here to do what I'm going to call, so you can remember it, secret service. I want this week for you to do something. Some service for maybe a family member. It could be somebody at work. It could be somebody in your neighborhood. Somebody you know needs a hand. It could be a non-Christian. Anybody. Ask the Holy Spirit who it is. I want you to do something practical and tangible to serve them. It could be writing them a note on a computer because they'll be able to know your handwriting. It could be... It could be just doing a chore for them that you know that they need to do. And do it, but don't tell them that you did it. And don't tell them two years from now, like, hey, you know who? That was me. That was me. Um, don't, don't, don't ever tell them. And leave your reward to just be God. Hey, God, you're my reward. Now, parents in the room, I want for you guys to plan something with your child to do some secret service with them. And it's just going to be you and there and God's secret. Serve somebody, but don't let anybody know you did it. Because here's the deal. Our reward is not some praise from men. Our reward is getting to serve alongside Jesus himself. We don't serve to get a reward from God. Our reward is getting to serve with God. Why? For God himself is the reward that we deeply, most deeply need. So let's pray.